The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. It was pointed out to me that before the break, I said that we would be joined after the break by the group head of news at uh, Independent Newspapers and campaigner Alva Smith, which made it sound like Alva Smith had been elevated into being both the campaigner and the group head of news at Independent.ie. She hasn't. Kevin Doyle is still in position in that role. Guys, you are both uh, very welcome. If you want to get in touch, you can, of course, get us 53106 at a cost of 30 cent or you can get us on WhatsApp 87 106 Where we start is with, um, if there's if there's small ears listening, it might be a good time to uh, turn off for about five minutes and then rejoin us because we can't not discuss what happened overnight in Gaza. This is the revelation uh, yesterday by the Gazan Health Ministry that a convoy of ambulances was hit by an Israeli airstrike. And Alva, the, I, I think the the reaction that you would have predicted and that anybody would have predicted from the Israelis would have been denial. In actual fact, they confirmed it but said that it was legitimate to attack a convoy of ambulances because they thought there was somebody from Hamas within. Well, you know, we have to say 15 people died. 60 people at least were injured. And the the bomb was aimed at this ambulance convoy directly outside the, the, the very big Al-Shifa hospital um, in Gaza, which is now, you know, trying to harbour hundreds and actually probably even at this stage, maybe even thousands of people one way and another. So on every level, it, it, it really is an incredibly distressing, depressing and, and really awful thing to have happened. But it, it is one among many. The, the Israeli position, they maintain that the ambulance was being used to, uh, to, to convoy um, members of Hamas. Whereas, of course, the, the, the Ministry for Health, the Hamas Ministry for Health in, in Gaza says no such thing. This was full of, of, of patients who are being brought elsewhere. So, you know, there is no way that you can actually get over there to prove things one way and another. We have no reason to believe Israel at this stage. And in, in a sense, you know, of course, Hamas is very much on the defensive at the moment. So it, you can't actually say we can prove this. What we can say with absolute certainty is that the death of over 9,000 people, so many of them children, virtually all of them, all of them civilians, is absolutely disgraceful. It is, you know, a, a global scandal, disgrace and catastrophe. And yet the attempts to, to, to have a ceasefire um, put in place are not meeting with success. Are there, not only are they not meeting with success, but um, Kevin, if we go with what the front of the Irish Examiner is saying, they're meeting with the absolute opposite. Front page of the Examiner is saying, Israel vows full force onslaught this after Netanyahu rejects ceasefire calls. Yeah, and it's it's funny that the ceasefire calls have become mainstream now. If you go back to the start of this, there was very much the line was Israel has the right to defend itself. Ireland, in fairness, was a bit of an outlier in that the government here and the opposition parties went quite quickly into the space of hold on a second. Um, but the reality is ceasefire is now mainstream, but America hasn't called for it yet. And while America doesn't call for that, Israel will not budge and Netanyahu will be happy to continue with this direction of travel. Now, obviously, they say they now have surrounded Gaza City. That may allow them to ease off on the airstrikes, which may allow them to say that the the there is restraint being shown, if you like. But, you know, 420 children a day is now yes. the estimate of how many are dying. And it's very hard to... 420 a day? A day. 
it's very hard to comprehend what that looks like. In 1.3 million children live in Gaza out of a population of just over 2 million. So, you know, we are really looking at it. The word genocide at this point is not out of place. In fact, last night I was down at what was a very moving vigil along O'Connell Street where both sides of the street outside the GPO were lined with people in a silent candlelit vigil. And then chanting started. And while at the beginning it was free, free Palestine and so on, it very quickly turned to ceasefire now, ceasefire now. And this continued for at least 30 minutes. It was extremely moving. And it makes me realise you know, just how much um, Ireland, how much the European Union is failing to actually take a lead of any kind. Now, what, the, is, what, what Israel will say and what a lot of Israeli surrogates, both in, in Israel and in the US, are saying is that war is of necessity brutal. War of necessity brings with it civilian casualties. If you look at World War II, you have Hamburg, you have Dresden, you have Nagasaki, you have Hiroshima. There was horrendous civilian deaths, but it was a righteous cause. And in this instance, they have little choice. It is a righteous cause and they have given warnings and asked the civilian population well, we to leave. we do have international, you know, there is, there is international law which regulates or attempts to regulate war, which of course can get out of hand. But there are uh, principles of proportion and this is totally disproportionate. One, one thing to make a point here, which is slightly different, right? Obviously, there's, everyone accepts that there was war crimes in Ukraine um, on behalf of Russia and what happened there. The big difference here when people say this is war and war happens and uh, as Netanyahu quotes scripture saying there is a time for peace and a time for war, the people are trapped. So there is no way that we took in nearly 90,000 Ukrainians we can take no Gazans, even if we wanted to throw the doors open because they can't get out. Absolutely. So it's a completely different set of circumstances. In and fact, it's it's even worse, Kevin, in a sense that, you know, the Israeli government says we, or military, the IDF says we sent six million messages to people in Gaza telling them to leave northern Gaza, leave Gaza City and go down to the south. And then what starts to happen? They start bombing. They, they're actually bombing the camps. They're bombing people on the road. The were really disturbing images on, I think, BBC TV last night of a road uh, somewhere in Gaza, which is not awfully big, where bodies, dead bodies were simply, and we saw we saw the images of dead bodies strewn on the road. So as the people are attempting to take refuge, civilians, they are being bombed Indeed. Kevin, you want to come in? on the well, road. I was just going to make one last point on it, Anton, before you move on. Is I was actually in, I spent some time in Gaza in 2015, I think it was, after Operation Protective Edge, which was a 50-day war of similar to what's going on now. And the one, it, sometimes it can seem really far away. And because most people in Ireland have never been there, they only know it from the newspapers, which is generally pictures of bombed out sites and apartment buildings. The one thing I would say that really struck me from that trip was the children. They were all about Princess Elsa and the boys in the street were all pretending to be messy. They are exactly the same as us, even though they seem far away and they dress different and they follow different religions and they have none of the opportunities we have. But they are kids who want to be messy and who want to be Princess Elsa. Well, that goes to the point that was made by, uh, forgive me, I can't recall his name, the, the Egyptian, um, I think he's a, a Egyptian a TV 
presenter and anchor who has been on with Piers Morgan a number of times in the past week and he was making the point that this action is the greatest recruiting tool for Hamas because okay. if you're one of those small children growing up in this situation and you return from a 5am he gave the example you go out at 5am to queue for bread you come back from bread and your home and family are gone mm. that will cause you to like the Israelis? Yeah, it's it's it's. I, I remember being there Bassem Yusuf by the way is I'm being and told also, is the name you know that does not help East-West relations I mean it is not only recruit, recruiting for Hamas but the whole Arab world is 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 up practically in arms all but What of that on the thing of international relations? Because this is one of the things that has surprised me. I would have thought that Israel would have a well-informed and considered propaganda machine that would roll in to attempt to coalesce international support. It seems that the international support policy is to poke everybody in the eye and call us all enemies while at the same point is waging this war. I don't entirely agree. I think the international policy is... is to be extremely cowardly and effectively to say, well, we don't want to say too much except that we support Israel. I mean, look at Blinken going over to the foreign secretary, going over to talk to Netanyahu. For what, what, what purpose? What, what, was, what was he going to say that would push Netanyahu? But that goes to, to Kevin, your point about the Americans having something of a unique relationship and a unique, um, unique skin in this game. But you yeah, has it, sat on the fence as well. I think, I think, Joe Biden, if you look back through his history, has always been very pro-Israeli. And the problem is that politically in America, that actually suits him. If he starts to look weak on, on this issue, um, there are all those in the Republican Party, and we're coming into election season in America, um, who will hammer him for that. So the safest thing... And the pro-Israeli vote is a big vote in America. Is. It but would be a big swing for America to push back against. But what do you polls, make of Israel's... The polls are beginning to show that Biden will be in trouble because Arab populations and Muslim popula- population mm. in the States has tended him. to vote Democrat. What do you and make, Alva, though, of right the kind of aggression that we've seen from diplomats about other countries, particularly Ireland? I mean, the, the Israeli ambassador has been extremely critical of Ireland. Well, Were you, you and well, well, and there are very strong calls now which are supported across the, the, the opposition political board here because people before profit actually uh, sent a letter to Sinn Féin who have now come, come out also saying that her position is untenable and calling for her to be expelled. Similarly, I believe uh, I believe the Labour Party and Social Democrats. Of course, I mean, there has to be, there has to be a sense that well, actually, the only thing that really has to happen at the moment is that there is a ceasefire. That is what has, has, to ha- has to happen so that people are not starving and dying of thirst and dying of their wounds. And can I just, just one thing? There are a number of um, uh, Irish Palestinians who, of course, are still trapped in Gaza, many of them in very difficult situations or those who have been able to leave or are here, whose families have been have been killed. And, you know, your heart absolutely goes out to them. Um, I I will put that question in relation to the uh, Israeli ambassador to Tony's the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Michal Martin, when he joins us at 10 o'clock, because obviously there is now a growing opposition support for the notion that the ambassador's position is becoming untenable. I'm not sure that there is the same consensus within government, but we will find out from him in about half an hour or so. Meanwhile, onto the front of the Irish Independent, Kevin's paper, RTE wants taxpayer to fund nine million in pay rises for its staff. And as if that wasn't enough, Kevin, the reporting insight says that it's not just pay rises, it's backdated pay rises. That is going to go down like the proverbial, isn't it? Yeah, so RTE agreed with the unions last year to a three-year 
pay deal, which would amount to a 6% increase across the period 2022 to 2024. And so the basis of this story is D Forbes, the now former Director General's final letter to the media minister before she stepped down. And in that letter, there was quite a lot of detail. People might remember this figure of 34.5 million, which is basically the bailout that RT has long now been asking the government for before this controversy erupted. And within that letter, she did a breakdown of what that 34.5 million figure would make up, where it came from, basically. And there was things like they were expecting a 2 million euro drop in licence fee. And we now know that's <laughs> many, many multiples of that since. Uh, 1.5 million for energy cost rises. There was 6 million around production. But within there, 9 million of that bailout money was for that pay deal for next year. So how they would pay those pay rises. Um, I think there's another tranche of them due in January um, for staff in 2024. Um, so basically, it on the surface, um, the interpretation of that is that RT management agreed to pay rises, which they didn't have the money to pay. So not for a second saying the hardworking staff in RT don't deserve pay rises in, in, in the crisis that we have in the cost of living. But their bosses agreed to it and didn't have the money well, to back let's it Let's wrap all of those caveats around it because we have had a significant cost of uh, living rise that outstrips the pay that they would be getting, which means they are they have had pay reductions in real spending terms over that period and negotiations with unions that is a normal part of doing business. All of that caveat being said, it is politically the worst possible timing to be saying to the government, come rescue us and while you're at us, give us a pay rise. Well, uh, yeah, but I mean, I think that this... this, this this happened in D Forbes is pretty well her last days. Yeah. In well, RTE. now it is worth but just for the full, fullness of the picture. We obviously did ask because um, RT are still looking for that thirty four point five billion. We did ask them yesterday, um, Fiona Sheehan, who did the story, is the logic still what it was before? And yes, under Kevin Backhurst, they still need the nine million for the pay rises. But you see, I would, you know, the the workers there do actually deserve that, and I think this tends to get maybe a bit mixed up in our minds with the fact that there are a number of very highly paid presenters in RT. Everybody knows not that. Not just presenters, well, Alva. Well, well, you know, let, let's not, I'm not going into the absolute small print here. I'm just looking at the difference, the chasm between one, a small tranche of people in RT and the vast majority of people who work in RT who work their guts out and who you know, we know work incredibly hard and to, like any worker, are entitled to the kinds of pay rises which are being negotiated and made with unions elsewhere. So I think we should not get these things mixed up because those workers are also facing into this strategic reform plan which Backhurst is introducing, which will involve redundancies, which will involve cutbacks, which will involve this, that and the other. And in the meantime, you have our thief shock saying, well, I wouldn't like to see a smaller, a much a much smaller RTE. So you have these swords of Damocles He's hanging also He's also being quoted as saying that he can't see a media charge working and it seems to be the only game in town as a solution. Yeah, well, he doesn't seem to have any answers to anything right now. (laughs) Tag saying, by the way, and and very interesting to see some of the response to the uh, Israel-Hamas question, I should say maybe Israel-Palestine question. So easy to be judgmental when one is safely living in Ireland. There is little right or wrong, black or white in regards to Palestine and Israel. I've also been in Gaza several times and worked extensively in the Middle East and their conflict zones and other. If the Russian ambassador was allowed to remain, why would the Israeli one be kicked out to appease the left? No American president will ever give Israel another blank check, says one. Another Anton, stop the pylon. 
some of us support Israel. 53106 at a cost of 30 cents if you want to get in touch or 087-1400-106. Can I ask you, Kevin, the broader issue with RTE? There was a sense that Kevin Backhurst was sort of like an old cowboy movie. He's on the white horse, he's got a white hat, he's riding into town, he's going to clean up some of the problems and all will be well. <laughs> We're 120 days into his tenure. It doesn't feel like the corner has been turned. Change happens very slowly, particularly in an institution like RTE that has been there for, for decades and is very unionised, is very set in its way. So I think the task, he, he kind of had a, a blank sheet, if you like, coming in. If ever there's a chance to reform, it's now. I guess we'll wait. We'll see what his vision is, which we should get pretty pretty soon. For that's kind of ticking, though, isn't it? Well, it's well overdue. It, we, we thought we'd have it before the, the budget uh, in October, and obviously we haven't. Um, I think that's kind of a make or break moment for Kevin Backhurst. How far is he willing to push? Um, how much change will he seek to introduce? And that question of RTE being a smaller media organisation, and mm-hmm. I can say this coming from a media organisation and we're sitting in another media, <laughs> independent media organisation. Radio is just doing fine, Kevin. Thanks very much. <laughs> but it is a very disrupted industry that is incredibly tough. And if you want to ask me where any of us are in 2030, I don't think anyone who works in traditional media has a very clear answer on that. But so RT is no different. This is it, it is an interesting time. It is a difficult time and it is also an opportunity. And I would think that rather than sort of a reformist attitude, that really it is, it is such a good opportunity for a radical rethink of what the state broadcaster is for and what it can do and what it is that people want. And of course, I think that there is a lot of cowardice around doing that. And that's what a lot of people would really like to see because we absolutely love radio. Radio. I say that about it at the minute, but I know that we love radio, whereas, of course, television, television watching habits have changed so dramatically that this is the time for that kind of reason. Well, there's a fine point underlying that as well, which is if you go back to the genesis of both Radio Aaron and then Radio Television Aaron, in both instances, it was specifically because of major transformation in the media world that they came into existence. It was a feeling that this is the new wave and we must capture it and, and use it to the positive. Now. Sure. Maybe he'll fix the RT coming. player and all of this. <laughs> oh, don't talk to me about this. <laughs> don't start. Don't, let's not go down the RT segment. player tangent. There is one other issue that I want to get your uh, views on, which it, I don't think it has done much in the way of, of purchase in um, Irish media this week. Our own version of it may down the track. But I have been transfixed by it. This is the UK COVID inquiry, which is looking back at how the UK government responded to the pandemic. Putting it diplomatically, the answer that is becoming clear so far is badly. But some of the um, the evidence that has been provided is ranging from the, the sublime to the ridiculous, starting with some of what Dominic Cummins had to offer, because Dominic Cummins was, of course, the, the probably the chief advisor to Boris Johnson. And we got a sense of the, the jaundice in his view of both Johnson and the wider ministers. You called ministers useless f- pigs, morons, c- in emails and WhatsApps to your professional colleagues. Do you think you contributed to a lack of effectiveness on the part of ministers and of the cabinet? No, I think I was reflecting a widespread view uh, amongst uh, competent people at the centre of power at the time about the calibre of a lot of senior people who were dealing with this crisis extremely badly. Are you suggesting that your views expressed in those revolting ways were shared by others? Well, the, 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 my appalling language is obviously my own. 
but uh, my judgment of a lot of senior people was widespread. Now that that is, well, I found it surprising <laughs> that somebody of that significance in in a role of such power would regard um, the senior parliamentarians in the British setup the way that he did. That isn't as surprising as the views that were attributed subsequently to the uh, Prime Minister, because in one piece of evidence, a former um, parliamentary or a former private secretary, this being Imran Shafi, who was former private secretary to the PM, told the inquiry that he believed that the Prime Minister had effectively said that old people should be allowed to die. Large PPL, numbers of people, who will die... Why are we destroying everything for people who will die anyway soon? I think that, I think that says economy. Sorry, it's my Sorry. destroy the economy for people who will die anyway soon. Mr Shafi, who said those words? I can't say for sure. Um, I think it was the former Prime Minister. How did they end up there? Well, you know, <laughs> in fact, it turned out that Matt Hancock, the health minister... Um, I'd, I'd also then said that doctors and other medical professionals should not make decisions about who should have treatment first and so on. So and forth. gagged that the senior this, public health this, official. Yeah, that, that this was a decision that should be made by ministers. So, in fact, it, this came from the top right through cabinet. And, you know, it, your mouth just falls open because that was definitely the approach. How did it come to that? They were in a state of complete chassis is the only way. Oh, but even chassis, no, 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 I mean, no, that but, is... But the point that the chaos came from some complete, the complete ineptitude in the top tier to actually make decisions. And it, I suppose, in a sense, it's sort, sort of kind of tells you that prime ministers matter because there are many times when you think, well, you know, who's actually making the decisions? But if there is not that leader there saying, we've got to get on with this, these are the general lines of approach. Yes, I agree with you as head of the NHS and you as Minister for Health and whatnot. That wasn't happening. Your man was away on holidays. And not just, I mean, I, I don't know what your view is, Ken, but I, I remember watching the end of the thick of it, the Armando Iannucci comedy, and it ends in a parliamentary inquiry and you sort of think, okay, this is a, it's a bit much you're putting yeah. jam on it, but fine. The end of the thick of it was much tamer than the reality that we're now seeing in the COVID inquiry. Yeah, the thing that, that struck me from this week is that, um, you know, everybody listening, you're all in a WhatsApp group. It probably has a silly name with your mates and everybody <laughs> says some pretty bad stuff that they wouldn't say in real life, something they saw on TV or they're an article or a meme or whatever. And now imagine that was all just rolled out there and you were running the country as well. Like, it is astonishing the carry on that was but going saying, on in those WhatsApp groups. If that allegation that is being made by the private secretary is correct, that the PM effectively, mm. the PM literally said, old people are going to die anyway, so why more or less let them die in their droves. And this was expressed at a meeting as potential policy well, yeah. of the UK and there government. Was Peter Valance, who the, was the medical officer at the time, um, he had notes as well, and he wrote that Boris Johnson thinks the whole thing is pathetic and COVID is just nature's way of dealing with old people. You know, but but we're not we're not actually surprised. It has also been uh, has come out in many different ways how uh, Cummings and an inner cabal of some kind really pushed Boris got Boris into that situation because of Brexit, knowing that he was incapable of leading and saying they would put a strong team around him to do this, and it didn't happen. Let me just say that the misogyny that goes throughout this inquiry is 
terrifying because it has real life consequences for the safety and the security of women and girls. And this is what worries me, that this is coming from the top tier in British politics. They are an absolute laughing stock. They are a disgrace. The Tories should absolutely be thrown out forthwith. I mean, it is just deeply shocking. It does nothing to give you faith in politics whatsoever. Alva Smith, campaigner, Kevin Doyle, uh, Group Head of News at Independent Newspapers. Thank you both very much. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine. On News Talk.